So we're looking today at the Lord's Prayer, and that's printed out inside your service sheets on the uh, reverse side of this insert. And I'm going to read um, a bit before and a bit after, so if you want to follow in your phones, it's Matthew 6, and I'll read from verse 5 to, uh, to 15. So Matthew 6. Verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and praise your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There's um, no outline within the service sheets today, I'm afraid. There's space for notes if you like it um, to do that, but I'll put some um, headings up on the screen here. When my older brother was a teenager, he went caving. I don't know if you've ever done that, potholing, caves underground, uh, one day with a friend. And they ended up at the end of this, uh, so a couple of hours in this caving system, they ended up in some pitch black, of course, and it was about a foot high, and they were crawling around, getting stuck, and they were looking for some hole in the ceiling, which was their only way out of this. And my brother told me that when he was stuck down there, he prayed earnestly to God. And he told God that, God, if you get me out of here, I'll go anywhere in the world as a missionary. He's now a church pastor in Australia. What we pray for reveals what matters to us. It reveals what we think is important. So when you're stuck underground, you've only got one thing on your mind, and that is, Get me out of here as quickly as possible. And so the question is, what do we tend to pray for? Uh, What priorities are revealed in what we pray for? What do our prayers indicate matters to us? In this passage here in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us what we should be praying for. He teaches us what should matter to us and what our priorities should be. But as important as the what we pray for is the who we are praying to. As the eternal Son of God, Jesus related to God as his Father in a unique way. But staggeringly, Jesus taught his followers that we can address God, we should address God as our Father as well. Because we have been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus. 
Now it is this relationship with God as our Heavenly Father which is all important and which Jesus wants us to nurture, to cultivate, to develop. And he wants us to make this relationship the very center of our lives. What is eternal life? It is knowing God, knowing God as our Heavenly Father. And so pursuing this relationship should be one of our top priorities and ambitions. And of course, prayer is central, is central to that, to this relationship. Prayer is central. So we're talking to our Heavenly Father. And incidentally, this is the basic New Testament pattern for prayer. We pray to the Father through Jesus in the Spirit. So Ephesians 2.18 says, through Jesus... We have access in one spirit to the Father. Now this relating to the Father is not something we do for show. We don't do it to, to impress other people. Uh, that's what the hypocrites were doing um, in verse 5 that I read. But instead this is an, a personal thing. It's a private thing. So Jesus said in verse 6, Go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. So we don't do it for show, and we don't relate to our Father in Heaven in a sort of mechanical way, but we're to do it genuinely, we're to do it from the heart. And so in verses 7 and 8, Jesus warns against praying mechanically, uh, the sort of prayer you find in non-Christian religion. So verse 7, he says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And so when here in verse 9, Jesus says, pray like this, He's not saying this is just some formula that we read out mechanically. It's not like the sort of set prayers recited five times a day. Instead he's saying, look, here are the kind of things that we're to pray about to our Heavenly Father. Now because God is our Father, He wants to hear our requests. And because He's in Heaven, He's able to do something about them. So it's the perfect combination. Now if this relationship with our Heavenly Father, if this is to be the very centre of our lives, as it was for Jesus, that means daily communication. So this is a daily prayer. Verse 11 uh, says, Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily prayer. And so our Heavenly Father wants us to be relating to Him every day. And it's staggering, isn't it, that he wants us to do this. Now, the fact that this is a daily prayer means we're not to treat God like uh, an emergency number on our phone. We're not to treat God like a crisis helpline. You know, we only call him when we're in serious trouble. We're not to do that. We're not to speak to God just once a week on a Sunday, you know, when we come to church. I mean, what kind of relationship would that be if we speak to God once a week? Imagine if you only spoke to your spouse once a week. God wants daily relationship. And so his number should be in our favourites, if you want to think of it that way. I mean, young people, they're on the phone with their best friends every day. Kids speak to their parents every day. It's the kind of relationship our Heavenly Father wants, daily communication. And so the point of these next few minutes is just to encourage us and help us in this kind of daily relating to our Heavenly Father, using this prayer. Now, it may be that um, 
when you saw that the Lord's Prayer was on the programme for today, maybe you groaned and you thought, I believe it, the Lord's Prayer. You know, I know this stuff. You know, teach me something I don't know. So familiar. But the point is not, do we know it? The point is, do we use it? Do we actually use it? So maybe in your wardrobe at home, you have lots of clothes that you never use, and they just sit there in the wardrobe, being eaten by moths on the hanger. And the Lord's Prayer can be a little bit like that. It's just sort of hanging in the wardrobe for many years, but we never actually use it. And so the point of this is that we get it out and off the hanger, and we get it into daily use. So what should we be praying for? There are in this prayer, and you see it on the outline there, very simple prayer, short prayer, there are six requests, six requests, and the first three requests are all about God. Now this prayer is so familiar, it's easy to miss how revolutionary this is. The first half of the prayer is all about God. It's about his name, it's about his kingdom, it's about his will. I wonder how much of our prayers are about God. What percentage would you say? It's not how we naturally pray, is it, to focus on God. So the theologian J.I. Packer, he wrote this, he said, Were we left to ourselves, any praying we did would both start and end with ourselves. For our natural self-centeredness knows no bounds. That's why we need Jesus to teach us how to pray. We need him to show us what our priorities should be, what our ambitions should be. So three requests. First request, your name be honoured. This is about giving God the honour, the glory that he deserves. In biblical thinking, God's name is basically who he is. It's the person he's revealed himself to be. It's his character. So back in Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6, when God proclaimed the name of the Lord to Moses, what he proclaimed is this. He said, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and so on. And so this request is about honouring God as God. Honouring God as the person he has revealed himself to be. It's about honouring him. So this word, hallowed, hallowed be your name, that's what it means, is honoured. May your name be honoured. And I don't know, it's a bit frustrating that translators have chosen to use such an unusual Harry Potter type word. Um, no one understands it. We don't translate it as hallowed anywhere else in the Bible, so I don't know why they've done it here. The Greek word simply means to honour as holy, uh, to sanctify, to consecrate. And so this first request is that the Father would be honoured as he deserves. Now, what will such honouring the Father involve? It's not just about using his chosen pronouns, though it will include that. You know, God has revealed himself in the Bible using masculine pronouns and titles. He's revealed himself as king, as husband, as father, never as queen, mother and wife. And so we honour his name by respecting that. But honouring his name is a lot more than that. It's about how we live. So Romans 2.23 says, 
the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see, God's people were living sinful lives. They weren't practicing what they preached. And that brought dishonor to God's name. So it's about how we live. If our, if our children were foul-mouthed, drunken, drug-taking, violent scoundrels, it would bring dishonor to the nodder name. It would bring shame on us as parents. And by contrast, if they are faithful followers of Christ who live that out in lives of love and obedience, that brings honor to the family name, as by God's grace I believe they do. And so with our Heavenly Father. How we live as His children, it will bring honor or it will bring dishonor to His name. And so to pray this is to pray, Father, please may, may how I live today as your child, may it bring glory and honor to your name, to you. May I not bring dishonor to you through how I live. May people not say, what a hypocrite, or, you know, so much for Christians being different. So it's a prayer about how we live. But it's also a prayer that honor, uh, it's a prayer that others would come to honor the Father's name as well. So it's a prayer that others would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And that others would start living for the honor of his name. And so when we pray this prayer, your name be honored, it's also a prayer about evangelism. We're basically saying, look, Father, may your name be honored today in my workplace, in my family, in my apartment block, in my street, and please use me to bring that about as I tell people about you. Your name be honored. Your name be glorified. Not my name. This centering on God, it doesn't come naturally to us. So in our sinful selfishness, we are preoccupied with our name. We want to make a name for ourselves. It's as old as the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11.4, they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Now that is our natural drive and our natural ambition. We want to make a name for myself, you know, for ourselves. We want to, I want to become famous in my chosen field. I want to be respected. I want to be known. I want to get my name in lights on Broadway. You know, I want to boost my profile. That's our natural bent in our sinfulness. Now, it may be that God may choose to make your name great. He may do that. He did that with Abraham. So God told him in Genesis 12 too, I will, <coughs> I will make your name great. That's not for us to pursue. Instead, our concern should be for our Father's name. His name in light, not our name. Him honored, not us. And then he will honor us in the age to come. Second request, your kingdom come. God's kingdom is his saving rule. The Old Testament looked forward to the time when God's saving rule would break into human history. The effects of the fall would be, would be dealt with. The everlasting kingdom would be established on earth. Now that has begun to be fulfilled with the coming of Jesus as the king. So Jesus proclaimed, didn't he? He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1.15. 
And Jesus urged people to receive the kingdom and to enter the kingdom now while there's still time through believing in him and his death for our sins. Now when Jesus returns, the kingdom will come in all its glory, all its fullness, and then his people will inherit the kingdom. And as Revelation 1.15 says, uh, sorry, 11.15 says, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so the kingdom of God is where things are at. This is the big thing that God is doing in history, in eternity. He's establishing his kingdom. He's revealing his kingdom. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we are aligning ourselves with this reality. We're making the kingdom of God the center of our ambitions, our priorities. We're saying, look, I want to seek first the kingdom. I want to tell others about the kingdom. I want to urge them to enter the kingdom. I want to invest my resources in the kingdom. But when we pray this, we're also sort of reorientating our lives to the future. We're saying basically, look, this fallen world in its present form, in its ugly rebellion against God, this evil age, this isn't our real home. In praying your kingdom come, we're longing for the kingdom to come. We're longing for the king to return. In the words of 1 Corinthians 16, 22, our Lord come, and Revelation 22, 20 says, Come, Lord Jesus. This prayer of the child of God, it reveals a very different focus in life, doesn't it? Not absorbed in this world, not putting down roots here, but like the people of faith in, in Hebrews 11, strangers and exiles on earth. We desire a better country, a heavenly one. But again, this your kingdom come does not come naturally to us. Our natural instinct is my kingdom come. That's our natural instinct. I want to build my kingdom, my empire. I want to increase my influence, my reputation. I want to feather my nest. Now, if you're a, a Christian starting a new business or something, it's not wrong to want your business to be successful and grow. And it's not wrong to want to do well in our different lines of work. But what is the motivation? Is it my kingdom or is it God's kingdom? Is it my name or is it God's name? Third request, your will be done. Uh, God's will here is simply how he wants us to live. His commands for our lives. In heaven, everyone does God's will. Everyone delights to obey God and love him and serve him in heaven. And this prayer is that the same would happen here on earth as in heaven. The people down here would live to please him too, beginning with me. What does that look like? Doing God's will. 1 John 3.23 This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he commanded. So that's the Father's will. He wants us to believe in Jesus, and he wants us to live that out, in love for one another. And so to pray your will be done is to pray that more people would do that. But in praying that, I need to start with myself. And so as we pray this, we say, Father, may I do your will today. Strengthen me to keep believing in Jesus today.
to live that out today in a life of love and service. But again, your will be done does not come naturally to us. The cry of our sinful nature is, my will be done, not your will, to live for ourselves, to do what we want, what we think is best. Now, of course, that has always been the case throughout human history, but it is especially true at the moment, isn't it, in Western culture. A guy called Carl Truman wrote a book uh, a few years back, a big book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And it's basically about how and why a certain notion of the self has come to dominate the culture of the West. The notion is that what matters is my feelings, my inner psychological life. That's where I find who I truly am. That's where I find what my purpose is. That's my authority in life. And so reality now is not something out there that I need to conform to, but instead reality is it's what I feel. And everything needs to conform to that. Society, biology, whatever. Now one expression of this is transgender ideology. If I feel I'm a woman, I'm a woman. I'm going to look at that in a few weeks' time, so I think in three weeks' time, so do come back for that. But a biblical worldview could not be more different. A biblical worldview reflected here in the Lord's Prayer is that to find reality, I don't look inside myself, I look outside myself to God. God is the ultimate reality. And I will find my true purpose and authentic self and deepest happiness in centering my life around his name, his kingdom, his will, not mine. So the Lord's Prayer is radical stuff, isn't it? It sort of turns us upside down and shakes us like a dog, tells us we got it all wrong, we got all things topsy-turvy. It sort of bursts the bubble of our self-delusion that we are the center of everything, and it puts God back in his rightful place. And so if we pray this each day, as we should, pray this each day, what it will do is it brings us back to reality, it resets the clock to the right time, it wakes us up from our dream world. And then, and only then, are we ready to pray for ourselves, to pray about our own needs. But what are they? What are the things we need most? Well, three essentials, according to Jesus, are three biggest needs. Firstly, provision. Give us this day our daily bread. This is talking about real bread. We, we began the service talking about bakers and bread. It's talking about real bread. There's no need to sort of spiritualize it as if it's talking about spiritual bread. It is true, man does not live on bread alone. The Bible says that. But he doesn't live without it. We need bread. We need food. And we are dependent on God for that. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And we are dependent on God for all our physical needs. Not just food, but clothing, shelter, health, life itself. And so we need to be praying each day, Father, please give us what we need materially to live. This is to be our daily prayer. It says, give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily dependence on God. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness, remember, they were dependent on God's daily provision of the manna, so for us. Now, 
for us in the affluent majority world, we may think, I don't need this prayer. We can skip this. Because we got the stuff we need. Food in the fridge, money in the bank, place to live, clothes to wear, work to do. Anything we need is just a few clicks away. We're sorted. But where do we think all this stuff comes from? It's from God. It's all from God. James 1.17 says, every good gift is from above. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, what do you have that you didn't receive? 1 Corinthians 20, 29, uh, 1 Chronicles 29.14, all things come from you. Now we might say, well hang on a minute, I, I buy all this stuff myself with my own money which I earn from working hard. I am self-sufficient. But where did we get the health? Where did we get the strength to work? It's from God. Deuteronomy 8.17 Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and my might, the might of my hand, have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. So everything we have is from God, and if he stopped giving, we'd be, we would be in very big trouble very quickly, as in we would be dead. And so this is a wise daily prayer. To pray each day, Father, please give me everything I need for life today. Health, food, money, work, every breath. And thank you for your provision for all my physical needs. I don't take them for granted. Zelensky was criticised, wasn't he, the other month for um, treating allies like an Amazon warehouse with lists of demands for weapons. And do you remember the Defence Secretary suggested that Ukraine should show more gratitude for the help it had received from the West? Well, we do well ourselves to develop an attitude of gratitude towards our Heavenly Father for all that he gives us day after day after day. And we need to beware treating God like an Amazon warehouse. His generous gifts are all of grace. So our first need is provision. Our second need is pardon. Forgive us our debts. Debts here means sins. Um, so it's saying that our sins are like spiritual debts on our account with God. How do we clear these debts? Well, not by us paying them off, but by God forgiving us. And that happens when we ask him to. Now that is something, this is a daily prayer, that is something we should be doing every day. Not once a month, not once a week, every day, daily prayer. And notice we should be specific. So not just saying, Father, please forgive me my general debt, but my specific debts, plural. So we need to name them. We need to confess them. We need to turn from them. Specific sins. So every day we want to be reflecting in God's presence on our lives. We want to let his spirit shine his light on our debts, convict us of our sins, and confess our sins to him. And ask for God's forgiveness. So every day we want to be praying, Father, I'm sorry that I was selfish in that situation. I'm sorry I was unkind towards that person. I'm sorry I was impatient when that happened. I'm sorry for keeping quiet when I should have spoken up and said something. 
So sins are not just the bad we do, sins are the good things we fail to do as well. Now, you may be thinking, well, if, we're, if I'm justified through faith in Christ, you know, I, I trust in the Lord, I trust in Christ's death for me, if I'm justified through faith in Christ, why do I need to pray this each day? Because surely all my sins are already paid for through Christ. Well, yes, they are, but it's about relationship. So if one of my kids was, was disobedient and rude towards me, it would sadden me, it would create distance in the relationship. They wouldn't stop being my child, but the relationship would be strained and the, until they come and they sort it out. And they say, look, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. And then the relationship is restored. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. So when we disobey Him, it messes up the most important relationship in our lives. And we need to sort it out. How do we sort it out? Well, by confessing our sins to him, asking for his forgiveness. And as we do that, we get the joy of a clear conscience, cleansed conscience, and peace of mind. And doing this reminds us that we are debtors to mercy alone, and it stops us becoming Pharisees who are self-righteous. But, notice the condition. As we also, verse 12, have forgiven our debtors. Forgiven people must forgive. And at the end there in verses 14 and 15, Jesus goes back to this to underline it. He's saying, look, if we, if we won't forgive others, our Heavenly Father won't forgive us. And Jesus spelt this out more in that parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Now that is a real challenge, isn't it? That is a real challenge because people do sin against us. It happens. And it hurts us. And so easily we harden our hearts against people, don't we, who've sinned against us. We resent them. We hold on to the, on, on to the hurt. We won't let it go. We find it very, very hard to forgive. But we have to, by God's Spirit and by His grace, because it is a mark of those forgiven by God. Provision, pardon, third big need, protection. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It's really saying the same thing in those two halves, um, one request and two halves. In James 1.13, it says of God, He Himself tempts no one. Instead, it goes on to say that we are tempted by our own, uh, our own sins, our own sinful desires, and ultimately by the devil. So God doesn't tempt us, but He does test us. Um, he allows situations, trials, in which our faith is tested. And he does that to show us that our faith is genuine, and to strengthen it. So, you know, God tested Abraham, Genesis 22. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're basically asking for God's protection in these situations of testing and temptation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke 22, 40, Jesus said to his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. They didn't pray, and as a result they gave into temptation, they fell when temptation came. Now let's not make the same mistake, or we too will fall and sin. Instead, let's be praying every day for our Father's protection. 
deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one, you could translate it. The devil, he is a formidable opponent, he's real, he's active, he's powerful, he's deceptive, he's cunning, he's destructive, he's evil, he's full of rage. In our own strength, we haven't got a hope. We need protection, and so we need to ask for it every day. Is that something we do? Is that something you pray for every day, for protection from the evil one? Someone made uh, this observation, and I think it applies to all three of these um, needs here. They said, most of us, if we're honest, we live our lives too serious about casual things and too casual about serious things. Yeah, so I'll read that again. He said, most of us, if we're honest, we live our lives too serious about casual things and too casual about serious things. So he went on to say that we, we fuss about diets and home decor. Our whole week can be ruined by a sporting event gone wrong. We are supremely concerned about these relatively unimportant matters. And yet we start each day as if we were in no spiritual danger, as if we had no enemy, as if we were not at war. Well, do take this prayer and make it your own, if you haven't already. Pray it every day. It's been my habit for many years now to pray this prayer every day. Just take it one line at a time, and then expand each line, filling in your own specifics from your own life, your own situation. I'm sure many of you do that. But if you don't do that yet, Today would be a great day to start that and to make it a daily habit. Because what it does is, it puts relationship with our Heavenly Father right at the heart of each day. It reorientates our lives around His name, His kingdom, His will, and it meets our biggest need. Our biggest needs for provision and for pardon and protection. So it does it all. It's a sort of one-stop shop. Maybe you think, well, in terms of why we don't pray this, maybe you sometimes think, will it actually make a difference? James 4.2 says, you don't have because you don't ask. That seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Well, let's pray together now. Let's take a moment to pause, to pray in the quietness of our own minds and hearts, and then we'll join together in prayer.